Welcome to the Northeast Community Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to know more about us, visit us on the web at necommunity.church. I have an overdose. The ambulance comes, they pick me up, and all I remember is that they're loading me up into the back of the ambulance. And I hear this voice that says, just give up. I had known from some time in that afternoon that I was dying. I never thought to pray, never thought about God. I knew that there was no life after death, and so the thought of death was just extremely terrifying because it just means end. I went into a spiral of depression, and it led me to active alcoholism at 21 years of age. My dad checked me into a hospital, and the second night that I'm there, my vision instantly went black. I'm now down, descending lower and lower into nothingness. I just keep falling and falling and falling. It feels like somebody grabs me and drops me in this outer darkness. And I start racing down this black tunnel. And so as I'm going down, the next thing that comes to my head is, oh my God, I I died and I'm going to hell. The people encircled me and kind of started leading me. As we journeyed, I'm aware I can't see anything anymore. It's pitch black. One study done of people who reported near-death experiences, and 23% actually had hellish experiences. So not every near-death experience is uh, blissful. At this point, I'm feeling more and more anxiety, more and more uh, pain than I even I, I felt on my worst day alive. There was no doubt in my mind, the hell of the Bible, this is where I am, this is where I'm gonna be forever. It's almost like there's an absence of hope, there's an absence of love, it's the absence of God. So I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, oh, yes, you are. So they started to tug at me and push at me. And then that became biting and tearing. And they were taking pieces of me. In my study of these hellish near-death experiences, a high percentage of people go on to make positive changes in their life. They become better people. They learn to face that fear, guilt, anger, those negative things they were dealing with in their life before they had that experience. I get to this place of desperation where I cry out to the Lord and all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes down and I feel the presence of God. And in that place, I heard a voice. The voice said, pray to God. Our Father who art in heaven. I remember like these phrases out of prayers and the people around me absolutely can't bear it. They would retreat further and further away. A thought comes into my heart, just one word. And so I yell, yes, into nothingness. I realized at that moment that who I said yes to was Jesus. I was saying yes to him, and he was giving me that second chance. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us at Northeast Community Church. My name is Sean. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm the lead pastor here at Northeast Community Church, and I'm so excited that you guys have decided to come and worship with us this morning. Today, we're going to cover a really controversial topic about hell. One of the most asked about topics that we get asked as a church is in relation to what happens after we die. So obviously, the topic is on many people's minds. We have a web form for anonymous questions at bit.ly askneCC. Check it out. The link is in the description. Well, we have taken questions like, Why can't everyone go to heaven? Or because of my friend's certain life situation, will my friend be going to hell? It's totally legitimate for our minds to wonder about these things. We've been talking about heaven for the past four weeks, and now we're going to address the alternative. 
Did you realize that the New Testament speaks more about hell than heaven? That may be startling to some of you, but research shows that across all religious beliefs, not just Christians, the concept of hell shows up in some form in every major world religion and culture. Way more people believe in heaven than hell, and I can see why. We want to believe in God's goodness and mercy, and we tend to want to ignore thoughts of judgment and justice. Today, I want to specifically address NDE's experiences based on the scripture, based on what scripture says about the character of God. 23% of people who reported having NDE experiences said that they were actually hellish. Researchers also believe this percentage is much higher, but people typically don't report them because they are both ashamed and traumatized by them. I personally had demonic encounters that I don't openly volunteer to talk about because people tend to look at you sideways, even other believers. Over the past 20 centuries, the Christian church has weathered many unorthodox views. And in recent years, we have seen the doctrine of eternal punishment shift to a softer view of hell. Coming out of the age of reason, we have put our way of thinking on an equal plane as God's way of being. Theologian and author Clark Pinnock lamented over how can Christians possibly project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include inflicting everlasting torture upon his creatures. However sinful they may have been, surely a God who would do such a thing is more nearly like Satan than like God, at least by any ordinary moral standards and by the gospel itself. Needless to say, because of this type of sentiment, believers have moved away from de-emphasizing the offensive aspects of faith, such as sin, heretical teaching, immorality, paganism, judgment, God's wrath, damnation, and even hell. We have moved far away from these topics because we don't want to appear harsh, critical, or like we believe we are better than others. But as believers, we have to remember that it was only recently that culture has cast a shadow on the idea of eternal punishment. Long gone are the days of sermons like Charles Spurgeon's Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Some may argue, but those are the words of angry preachers. Certainly a loving God wouldn't create a place like hell where people end up at, right? Jesus was loving and only wanted to see people love one another, despite the way they lived their life. Unfortunately, we've caricatured Jesus into a free-spirited hippie who walks around with a soft voice and sips artisan coffee. Did you know that the majority of what was spoken about hell in the Bible came directly from Jesus' mouth? I'm sensitive to the fact that there may be people who are listening to this right now that are troubled by the concept of hell. Like every other message in this series, I urge you to examine what the scripture actually says versus how we feel about what the scripture says. I agree with C.S. Lewis, who said, there is no doctrine which I would willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power, but it doesn't. The truth is, as believers, we shouldn't like the idea of people suffering for all of eternity. It should be disturbing. Jesus revealed the father's heart concerning hell in the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Nevertheless, 
Many have walked away from Christian faith because the very thought is too much for them to bear. Bertrand Russell said this in his book, Why I'm Not a Christian, that Jesus' teaching on hell is the one profound defect in Christ's character. If we want to avoid the idea of hell, we can't ignore the problem by just focusing on meek and mild Jesus. Before we delve any further, I want to address the prevailing thoughts about hell even amongst Christians. First is universalism. It is the idea that there will be no eternal punishment at all. Rather, God will restore everyone, including Satan. Universal, universalism and its ideologies have made a resurgence recently. However, strong proponents can be found as far back as 185 AD in origin, who taught that the threat the threats of eternal punishment were only used to deter man from sinning. He says that the inextinguishable everlasting fire was intentional deceit on the part of God to persuade men to live right. Before those of us who believe in a literal hell smirk, we need to understand that some very smart theologians have attempted to explain it away using scripture. And this is why reading the Bible is so important. Next, we have annihilationism. Traditionally, this view has been associated with certain groups, but recently evangelicals have started to embrace this doctrine. Annihilists believe that people will be annihilated during judgment. So people who will not continue into heaven will simply cease to exist. They feel that this is the only way to reconcile a gracious God in judgment. Thirdly, people who believe that there will be degrees of punishment, that people can suffer for a while and then be granted access to heaven. And finally, the stance that we're going to talk about today, literal and eternal punishment. The historical stance that I take on hell is that it is both a literal suffering and an internal suffering. I don't believe that Satan is sitting in hell with a red outfit and a pitchfork skewing souls. At the same time, I feel that the fire and darkness are only depictions that explain something far worse than the words indicate. Just like afterlife in heaven being a glimpse that we can't fully articulate, I think that fire and darkness are descriptions of a reality far worse than we can imagine. Eternal separation from God. I think burning for eternity will be getting off light. Jesus often talked about people being thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We believe based on the scripture that this place is hell. Here are some of the things that the scripture says about hell. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8, 12. It is a place where people scream for mercy, having memories, are tormented, feel alone, and cannot escape, Luke 16, 23 to 31. It is a place of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 48. It is a place of darkness, Revelation 9, 2. It is a place of eternal consequences, Mark 3, 29. It is a place where God's wrath is poured out, Revelation 14, 10. It is a place of everlasting destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Hell is not intended to be designed for humanity. According to Jesus, it was created for the fallen angels who had a choice to rebel against God, just like we do. Then he will say to those who are on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Note that the duration of the fire is eternal, 
We are eternal beings designed to live forever, either with God or separated from God. Hell is literally a place that God gives creatures with free wills exactly what they want, an existence apart from him. In other words, if you do not want to be in God's presence, he will not force you. He will not force you to be in his presence. He will not force himself upon you. Hell is the absence of God. This is why there will be utter darkness, because we know that from the word, we understand that God is light and the true source of light will be withdrawn. Not only light, but the life and the love of God will be withdrawn. That is in itself enough punishment. In hell, those who are present will be utterly left to their own devices. The difference between heaven or hell is a matter of the will. His will versus ours. Hell is God's truly just choice to not make decisions for others. God allows people exactly what they're asking for, a life without him. We've learned in the past few weeks that heaven is actually a gift that can't be earned, that anyone who will receive it can have. With that being said, God actually doesn't send anyone to hell. If someone ends up there, it's through rejection of God. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God doesn't want us to fear hell. He wants us to experience his love forever. Indy ears actually didn't cross the boundary into hell. Even the ones who had heavenly experiences reported that there was a point of no return that they knew about. During those experiences, they cried out. Let's listen to their experiences. As I'm thinking about, there's no hope, there's no way out. This memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I could see myself vividly, so innocent, so sweet. I thought, enough of this, I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. In that light, I could see me and all the gore, and I was roadkill. These hands and arms came out and they reached down and they touched me, and when they touched me, all that gore began to just dissolve and I became whole. As I cry out to the Lord and I say, God, I need you, it feels like everything just kind of stopped. It's just me and God now having a conversation. I feel his peace. I feel his love. I feel his presence. I yell, yes, into nothingness. I yell, yes. As soon as I do, I'm instantly back. But this time in the hospital room, there's tangible peace in the room. And I see written on the wall a Bible verse. It's the verse John 3.16. And it was glowing. It was white hot. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, we learn of eternal consciousness of punishment. It reads, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured 
full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up, watch this, forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. We see here in Revelation that the smoke of the fire of hell will go up forever and ever. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that that's just until they pass out. I don't think they just cease to be. The scriptures are clear that God punishes forever. So that's what the Bible says about hell. God doesn't want anyone to perish. As a matter of fact, he holds off his coming because he wants us all to be with him. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Hell is ultimately, hell is ultimately the culmination of our choices to continually reject God. Some of you may be saying, well, pastor, you've just given us a few random scriptures, which I feel like you should go and check out for yourself. But let's look at what Jesus taught us about hell in a parable in Luke chapter 16. Because I knew y'all was going to say something. In Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and a, Jesus tells a story about a man named Lazarus and a rich man. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And so here we see this dichotomy where the poor man died and went to a place called Abraham's bosom, which was uh, a place set up for believers, the people of God, prior to Jesus coming and paying for our sins. And we also saw uh, this rich man who's not named here being carried off to Hades. And it says that in Hades, he was being tormented. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in the flame. Here's another thing that we see. We have consciousness in the afterlife. We see that he knew who Lazarus was in the afterlife. And he asked Abraham to come and send Lazarus to send Lazarus to come and give him something to drink because of the torment and because of the flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your goods and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is in comfort here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us, and between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so we see that we are unable to 
to just travel and do what we want to do in the afterlife. But there's this great chasm and it's been fixed, the Bible says. God has put this chasm between the afterlife separating um, those who are in Hades and those who are currently in Abraham's bosom. And then the man had a plan that he wanted to warn people not to come to this place, not to be brought to a place after your death where you will be tormented. And he said then, and he then said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And if you're like me and you have a Bible who has red letters in it, you understand that those were the words of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus was telling a story, but there are heavenly implications in all of his parables. And Jesus was saying that if someone comes back from the dead and tells you about Hades and heaven, you should listen. It was almost as if Jesus was saying that he, uh, and prophesying about his death and his coming back. And people hear about Jesus all the time and they still choose to ignore God and they still choose to not repent. And some may be asking, so what good is all this hell talk doing for us believers? It's just so depressing. Well, one, it should make us more grateful for the grace that God has shown us in our lives, that he's allowed us to understand his grace and he's allowed us to make a decision. If you're a believer, you should bless God right now that he's given you the opportunity to understand his free gift and his gift of grace and that you can be with him forever in eternity. Secondarily, it should give us a desire to reach the lost with the gospel message of truth. If you truly believe in heaven and you truly believe in hell, you should be active in sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ in sharing the goodness of his gift and letting people know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if anyone ends up in hell, it is not God's doing. God sends nobody to hell. We make a conscious choice to reject him. We make a conscious choice to push him away. And God being the perfect gentleman, hell is exactly that. It's God saying, okay, you have your way. I will not force myself upon you in eternity. At the sound, if you're under the sound of my voice, the most important decision that you will ever make is to give your will to God, to give your heart to God, to give your way to God. And hell is exactly what it is. It is you having your own way, is you having your own will, is going to be filled with people who don't want to spend eternity with God. So why would God allow them into heaven? And it's just going to be outer darkness where people are going to be cast. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that it doesn't have to be poured out on you. Think about that for a minute. And so if you end up continually to reject God, you will face his judgment. And just because you don't agree 
And just because you can't understand, listen, if it was up to me, I would not have created a hell, but it's not up to me. Some of you may be asking, well, what does it mean to choose God versus reject God? I love the Lord. I'm just going to wait until later in life to serve him and follow him and do the things that he's requiring of me to do. Well, if you're thinking in that way, you've rejected God. God loves you and he's given us a prescriptive plan on how to live our lives. And it's simple. It's really simple. A lawyer approached Jesus or a, 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 a person who was real, really well versed in God's law approached Jesus. And they asked, they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I'm going to give you two. He said, the first is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. He didn't say stop sinning. He didn't say change your lifestyle. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And listen, when you do those things, the things that don't please God fall away. If you've ever been in love with someone and you want to spend time with someone and maybe you were a teenager or something like that and you say, well, I ain't going to change for nobody. But when you fell in love, they started persuading you to do certain things because you loved them. That's the same with the love of God. As you love God and you see that he has your best intentions in mind and you see that you can go to his word and you can learn truth about yourself. You can learn truth about him and you can learn um how to live a Christian life, a life that pleases him, guess what you do? You begin to change then. And so my heart's desire for you is to first love God and then allow God to move in your life and listen to him and follow him and do what he says to do. And don't worry about what everybody else is saying. Don't worry about what culture surrounding you is saying. Don't even worry about big mom, what big mama and big daddy and them used to say back in the day. Follow God, get into his word. And secondarily, Jesus said, love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you do these two things, you are choosing God because essentially what you're doing is you're laying down your own selfish desires. You see, we were all born sinners. I'm the chief of sinners, Paul said. And so the challenge is we think we need to clean up our lives in order to follow God. And listen, the scripture tells us today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. And what that means is if you're listening to this message and you're feeling conviction and you're feeling scared, listen, God doesn't want us to fear hell. Like I said, it wasn't created for us. He wants us to reach out our hand and accept his gift of salvation. Listen, as a preacher, this is a very hard message to preach. Like I've said a couple of times, I wouldn't put anybody in hell if it were up to me. The first time I hear someone shriek and their teeth start gnashing, I'd be like, okay, okay, let them out. But God is just, God is good, God is right, and he won't force himself upon you. But if you're listening to this message, and you want to explore more about faith, and more about what it means to get right with God, to follow God. This is what I urge you to do. Email us at elders at any community.church. And we would love to have a conversation with you. No judgment, no browbeating, 
We just want to have a chat with you. And answer any of your questions that you may have. You might be like, okay, that's too much. That's too much of a big step for me. I'll give you another one. Go out to this website, bit.ly slash askNECC. And the questions that we get about hell, the questions that we get about salvation, I'll follow up with another video and we'll talk about it there. And lastly, we want you to make a declarative decision. It doesn't take much. It just takes an open heart and a willingness to follow God, to live with God, to lay down our own desires, our own wants, our own needs. I know it's hard. Jesus told his disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. Just follow me. And following God is an everyday journey. But if you want to step into that journey, if you want to take necessary steps into that journey, I want to lead you into a, I want to lead you with a prayer right now. If you bow your heads wherever you are, in your room, or if you're driving down the street, don't bow your head, pull over. If you're on your cell phone, if you're on your computer, if you're watching this on TV, God hears our prayers wherever we are. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that before you open your mouth to pray, I heard and I answered. And it's God's strong desire that we be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's his strong desires that we learn to live like Jesus. He wants that more than you want that. And his arms are wide open right now. He just wants to love you. He just wants to display his love for you. The Bible says that he commanded his love towards us or he commended his love towards us. That while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. In other words, he died for you at your lowest point. He died for you at your worst. You don't have to get your life right in order to follow God. All you have to do is submit your will. And the Bible says all you have to do is repent. In other words, I've lived my life this whole time and it hasn't been pleasing to you, God. God, I want to learn your ways. I want to learn more about your will for my life. Help me. And you turn away from the path that you're walking on and you say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. It's that simple. So let's pray. Repeat after me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father. I have to admit, I haven't known you or gotten to know you as well as I would like. But today, God. I want to surrender my heart and my ways to you. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a student of your word. I want to follow you with my whole heart and my whole life. I want you to lead me and direct my path. And so, Lord, I repent of my sin, which is my wrongdoing. Because I understand that my sin sent Jesus to the cross. But I'm grateful that he went willingly. That I might have a relationship with you. 
And so, Father, today, I want that relationship. I want, to manif- I want that relationship to manifest in my life. I want you to send your precious Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of me and change me. Teach me to be more like you. Father, from this day forward, I choose to walk in the light and not in the darkness. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross. Thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And a prayer as simple as that allows God, his will and his ways in your heart and in your life. But we don't leave it just there. We begin to read his word and we begin to pray with him, pray to him. If you're challenged with that, listen, again, reach out to us at elders at any community.church. Tell someone who might be a Christian. If you have Christians in your, your, your areas of influence and your circles of influence, tell them, I made a decision today to follow Jesus. And we want to hear from you. Tell us, reach out to us, tell us, and we'll tell you the necessary steps, how you continue to cultivate your walk with him. Because now you're a part of a greater family. Not only are you loved by God, but you're loved by Christians around the world who will link arms with you and walk with you. Because we're a new family in him. And for the rest of us, let's make a commitment to pray for those who made a decision today. That the Holy Spirit continue to plow their hearts. That he continues to cultivate what he started on the inside of them. That he continues to work on the inside so that the life that they now live will glorify him. And before we go, I have a quick challenge. Quick challenge. Share your faith with someone this week. Share your faith with someone this week. Whether it be a face-to-face conversation, whether it be a text message, whether it be via Zoom, whether it be on your Facebook page, just your testimony. On Twitter, shoot a YouTube video. I know we're quarantined and sheltering in place. Just share your faith somewhere this week. Because listen, in times like this, when people are dividing over stuff that shouldn't divide the church. The church is missing a perfect opportunity to stand up and display the love of Christ. Because the word is clear. Jesus said, they will know that you belong to me by how you love one another. So as we leave this place, let's make it a point to love like never before. I love you. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us at anycommunity.church.